Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to this word being preached. Thanks, Kat. Good morning, everyone. Wonderful to have you all here. Welcome to all of you and also to those who are joining us on, on YouTube. Uh, I noticed in the uh, even after lockdown, um, often... You know, uh, you know, even after we've started having live services, there are, you know, up to 100 or more people watching on YouTube. Um, so welcome to all of you if, if, um, if you're watching on, on YouTube. I want to share this morning a bit about um, something that I think is always very relevant. We're busy with a series on um, exploring why. Um, and, and these last three, we're looking at you know, our, how we make disciples is we, we, we teach people to live the gospel, love the people, and obey the Spirit everywhere. And, and today we're going to look at loving people and, and wh- why that's so important to us, why that's such an important aspect of our vision and how we uh, do discipleship and how we uh, follow Jesus. And, and obviously we do this because we, we know that, you know, unless we understand the reasons why we do what we do, we're either not going to do them or we're not going to do them wholeheartedly or consistently. And, and that's why it's important to sometimes, even, even though it seems obvious, you know, love people, well, obviously, but, but to, to just remind ourselves why we love people. And, and um, the previous time, you can bring up, just bring up that introduction slide, uh, please, uh, Jonathan, uh, the next one. Um, you know, we, I always have this little Venn diagram that I draw um, the G stands for gospel, the P stands for people, and the S stands for spirit. So where we want where, to, where discipleship happens, and, and that's the DSS there at the top with the arrow, is disciple, that's the discipleship sweet spot. That's where discipleship happens, is in the overlap of gospel, people, and spirit. So when we bring people in a loving environment into contact with the truth of the gospel and the power of the spirit, that's when revival happens, that's when discipleship happens, that's when growth happens. Uh, and if you want to be a better parent, just spend some time there with your kids in the discipleship sweet spot. If you want to be a better employer and develop your, your employees better, just bring them into the discipleship sweet spot. Just bring them in a loving environment into contact with the truth of the gospel and the power of the Spirit. Um, you, you want to be a better employee and do better work. You, you want to love people better. You want to... Um, just be a better person in general. You want to be more like Jesus. It happens there in the discipleship sweet spot. What we do in small group is we try and get into the discipleship sweet spot. What we do in church services, we're trying to get there. We, we, we want to experience, um, you know, in, in a loving community, we want to experience the truth of the gospel and the power of the Spirit. That, it's, it's really that simple. That's our one move that we have. Um, but um, today we're going to focus specifically on why love people? Why love is so important? Now, love is obviously a very popular topic, even in the world, and people write songs and stuff about it. Jonathan, you guys ready with the song? And lots of songs have been written about love and what love is and so on. You can roll for us. What is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Don't hurt me.
Yeah. <laughs> we, we, um, I, I, I had a bursary with one of the mining companies uh, to study engineering, um, chemical engineering. And as part of my bursary, I had to do sort of vacation work on, on some of the mines. And on one of the mines, there was a, a short Russian guy and his name was Vladislav. And we always used to sing the song to him, Vladislav, baby, don't hurt me. Don't hurt me. <laughs> Sorry, I've just spoiled that song for all of you. You're never going to be able to unhear that again. <laughs> so, um, I, I was, when I was talking to the guys at, at, at the office about um, you know, sharing, because I, I, I've been reading scriptures, and obviously in the Bible there are so many scriptures about love. Um, about loving God, but then specifically about loving people as well. And, and I was saying to them, oh, it's, there's just so much that I want to cover. I don't know if I can cover it in one sermon, but I, I thought I'm, I'm going to just try and do a, a helicopter flight, just sort of a, a high-level flight over. So I'm going to share a lot of things. I'm not going to be able to go very deep into anything, but I'm, I'm trusting that, that the Lord will give us a bit of an overview through the scriptures that we're going to look at about why loving people is so important and why it's so powerful. Um, so I'm just going to do it under three headings. Uh, why should we love people? Because love is the right response. Secondly, because love inspires the right response in others. And because love reflects God. So let's, let's look at the first one, because love is the, the right response. If you look at scriptures like um, Galatians 5, verse 13 to 14, it says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So love summarizes the law. And, and therefore, love is always the right thing to do. It's always the right thing to do. And yes, there are, if you look at the Old Testament and the New Testament, you put them together, there are probably hundreds of separate laws and instructions and commands in Scripture, but you don't have to remember all of them as long as you remember what Jesus says is the summary of the law. Love the Lord your God above all else and love your neighbor as yourself. So, so the whole law is summarized in love. And therefore, if we can learn to love well, we are obeying God. We are. We will be obeying the law even without, without thinking about it and without even uh, necessarily knowing the laws that, that we are obeying. Um, so, so what we see here is he says, in love, serve one another. In other words, there's, there's action where you serve other people, where you do good towards them, motivated out of love. And when we do that, we are fulfilling the whole law. So, so love is always the right thing to do. It, it's, it's the summary of the law. But it's not only the summary of the law, the actions that we have to take. It's also the summary of the law, the motive behind it. You see, the world, when it tries to change people, it almost always works from the outside in, you know, trying to change people's circumstances and behavior. But the, the, the Word of God always works from the inside out. It doesn't just want to change our behavior. It also wants to change our motives. It doesn't just want to change what we do, but also why we do it. And, and that's why I say that... The, that love summarizes the law, not only the method of the law, but also the motive of the law. 
You see, you can do the right things for the wrong reason, and then you're not actually obeying the law. Jesus says, you know, it's, it's not enough to not commit adultery. You should not even look with lust. It's not enough to not murder. You should not hate or be angry without a cause. So love summarizes that and, and, and powerfully summarizes not only what we should do, but why we should do it. Love wants what's best. So we love people because love always wants what's best for people. Um, here's an interesting scripture in, um, in Philippians 1 verse 15 and 16. And I, I never noticed this until I was listening to an audio book where, where a guy made this connection. Um, Paul says here in, in Philippians 1 verse 15, some, because what, what happened was Paul was in prison and he's, he's saying, you know, a lot of people are preaching the gospel with boldness. But then he says, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter, the ones who preach it from goodwill, do it out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. Can you see how he's saying that those who preach the gospel out of goodwill are doing it out of love? Can you see the connection he's making between love and goodwill? So love enables us to have goodwill towards people. In fact, love, in a sense, starts with goodwill towards people. Love, and, and that's what makes it so powerful. It's, it's not only doing the right thing, but it's doing it for the right reason. It's, it's having a sense of goodwill, wanting what's best for the object of, of your love. Wanting what's best for them. I, um, I've heard of this definition of love by a, a guy called Vadi Bakum. Some of you might know him. He, he, he does some teaching on marriage and, and relationships and that kind of stuff. And he says... Love is a decision of the will accompanied by emotion that acts in the best interest of, of its object. So it's a decision of the will accompanied by emotion, not led by emotion, but accompanied by emotion that acts in the best interest of its object. And, and it starts out of a sense of goodwill. I want what's best for you. I want what's right for you. Now, we also have to acknowledge that um, there's a difference between loving someone and making someone feel loved. Isn't that so? Okay? Now, obviously, if you really love someone, then at least some of the time they're going to feel loved. Okay? So you can't, like, use the tough love excuse and, you know, someone never feels love around you. you know, no, it's tough love that I'm giving you. No. If, if, if someone never feels loved around you, then you probably don't love them. Okay? But if you love someone, not all of your love towards them is going to make them feel loved. I mean, just ask my kids. Not all of the love that I give them, you know, when I love them by insisting they eat their vegetables, they don't always feel that loved. When I love them by not always giving them the sweets and the soft drinks that they demand, they don't always feel that love. And when I love them by disciplining them, they don't always feel that love. Okay? So, so love doesn't always, it, it is goodwill towards someone. But, but I'm, I'm highlighting this because I want you to see that it's, it's not giving, love isn't people pleasing. Love isn't always giving people what they want, but always giving people what they need. Always giving people what's best for them. Okay? And that means that, that even sometimes with good intentions, because we, 
we, we want to be nice to people, we can actually end up not loving them because we're trying to be nice to them. Right? And, and we see example of that um, in, in Mark 10, verse 21, where it says, and Jesus, this is the so-called rich young ruler who comes to Jesus and, and he says to him, what must I do? You know, good, good teacher. You know, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus says, why do you call me good? There's only one who's good. So it's like, if you're saying that I'm, uh, and that's God. So if you're saying that I'm God, you know, then you're sort of on the right track. But then he says, um, you know, go and keep the, the, the laws, you know. And, he say, and then he says, all these laws I have kept. Okay, so he's very confident, this guy. <laughs> you know, clearly he doesn't, you know, he, he doesn't quite understand the, the, the difference between not just the method of the law, but also the motive of the law. Um, but anyway, he, he's quite confident. He thinks he's keeping the law quite well. Um, so Jesus says to him, in, in, in Mark 10 verse 21, he says, And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, now notice, it's because Jesus loved him that he said this to him. You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. And sadly we know this guy, because he was very rich, he turned away and he, he wasn't willing to do that. Because Jesus knew, this guy thought he was keeping all the law, but actually he was breaking the first commandments. Because the very first commandments say, you shall have no other God. And his wealth was his idol. And Jesus, through the Spirit, knew that. And he said to him, you think you're keeping the laws, but let me prove to you that you don't. Because I love you. Because I don't want you to be in bondage to, the, to your wealth for the rest of your life. Go and, go and get rid of what's keeping you bondage and come and follow me. Be my disciple. And... Jesus said that to him because he loved him. He gave him a, he, he gave him a very difficult instruction. He, but a struck instruction that was out of love because that, if he'd obeyed that instruction, it would have freed him from his wealth idol that he was, that he was clinging to and that he, that he had put his faith in. Um, love enables us to deny ourselves for others. In Philippians 2, verse 1 to 5, um, notice it, it, it a few times mentions love. It says, So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, and, and just notice there, encouragement in Christ, that's the gospel. Um, comfort in love, loving people. Participation in the Spirit, obeying the Spirit. Can you see how our values and our method of discipleship lines up with, with Paul's. And he says, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord with one, uh, with, uh, and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, or which, is, which you have in Christ Jesus. You know, and then it goes on to say how Jesus humbled himself and sacrificed in order to love us and to save us. So if we want to love, we must, and I think that's very practical, we must be willing to look out for the interests of others and not just our own. You see, we... 
very naturally, unfortunately, and very easily fall into navel-gazing and what do I want? What do I need? What's best for me? And, and we, we very easily, if we're not careful as, as fallen human beings, we, we end up using one another to get what we want. Let me put it to you this way. If you're sitting here, you know, and, and you're sort of nudging your spouse and saying, yes, you hear this about love. You, you ought to be listening to this because you need to do more of this to me. Or if you're sitting there wishing, I wish so-and-so was here. They, they really need to hear this, how important love is so they can love me better. You know, it's, it's, they, I knew, I just knew they should have been here this morning. <laughs> Instead of saying, why do I need to hear this? And how do I need to love those around me better and look out for their interests, not just my own? Right? And, and, and let's be honest, we all do that. We all do that. We all fall into that trap. We, we want others to make the sacrifice, pay the price to love us, but we're not always so eager to pay the price to love others. But Jesus did that for us. And, and Paul says, if we love one another, we'll be willing to do that for one another as well. As Jesus was willing to disadvantage himself in order to advantage us. So if we love one another, we'll look out for one another's interests and even be willing to disadvantage ourselves in order to advantage one another. In other words, love makes you willing to pay the price. To make the sacrifice pay the price of what it costs to love those around you. And it does cost you something. Just think about it for a moment. Um, if it's such a blessing for others to be loved by us, and if, let's be honest, when we do love one another, it actually feels good to us as well. Why do we often not, why, why do we often struggle to love one another? Well, one of the reasons is because it always costs you something to love. When, when you love people who are imperfect, they are going to hurt you. Okay? They're going to, get, they're going to let you down. They're going to sometimes throw your love back in your face. They probably, they, they're often not going to love you in return. They're going to disappoint you. They're going to say things that cut Etc., etc. So, you, you, when you love someone, you make yourself vulnerable to them and they can hurt you. But not only that, not only are they going to hurt you, but they're going to get hurt. And if you love them, then their hurt is going to hurt you. The fact that they suffer is going to cause you to suffer because part of love is empathy. It's rejoicing with those who rejoice, but also mourning with those who mourn. So, so often, in order to avoid suffering, in order to avoid hurt, to avoid discomfort, we are tempted to avoid love. So, a big part of love is making that decision that I am willing to suffer, to experience discomfort, even to experience hurt, so that I can love. Have you made that decision yet? Because unless you've made the decision, you have not decided to love. Not love in the, in the biblical sense of the word. Then, 
Love enables us to help rather than harm others. Um, In Romans 13 verse 10, Paul says, Love does no wrong or no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. So what he's saying here is that if if we love one another, we're going to avoid hurting one another. We're going to avoid doing anything that is harmful to one another. But then he takes it a step further in in Romans 12 verse 9. He says, love, let love be genuine or let love be sincere or without hypocrisy. Abhor or hate, strongly hate what is evil and hold fast to what is good. So, you know, the world will say, if you want to love, you cannot hate. The Bible says, if you want to love, you must hate. That sounds sort of counterintuitive. But unless you're willing to abhor or strongly hate the evil in someone's life, you cannot love them. Because what is that evil doing in their life? It's harming them. You know, that, that, that character flaw that makes them lie the whole time. You know, with our kids, we often have to talk about that. You know, and explain to them, yes, when you lie, you can sometimes get away with things. But it's not good for you. It's going to harm you. If you grow up to to become a person who habitually lies to others, it's going to people aren't going to be able to trust you. And and it's going to harm your relationships. You're going to it's it's harming you. So so that's why we discipline you when you when 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 you're um, when you're dishonest. It's it's because it's harmful to you. We we have to in order to love you, we have to hate. So so love does no harm, but it also hates that which does harm in someone's life and encourages that which helps uh, in people's lives. So here's a nice test for love as well. Do you hate all evil in someone's life? Do you hate that which is harming them which is evil and, 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 and is, is hurtful and harmful to them. That's when you know you really love someone. And, and that means that sometimes you, 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 once again, don't give people what they want. So if you have an employee who is constantly unreliable um, and shows up late for work and, and doesn't do their work, for instance, then love will give them a chance, help them, because uh, there's also the scripture, I'm not going to read it now, in, in 1 Peter 4 verse 8 where it says, love covers a multitude of sin. So, so there's a bit of a tension here because on the one hand, love hates the evil in someone's life, but it also covers sin, and sin is evil. In fact, I, I, I don't have enough time to, to solve that tension for you. Why don't you turn to each other and talk about how can love both hate the evil in someone's life and cover a multitude of sins? I'm going to give you two minutes. Just turn to each other in groups of two or three and quickly discuss that. How, how, can, how can love do both? Okay, so what, what this means is that in a fallen world, in a world full of sin and evil, love, if you want to live in love, you'll have to live in a, with a degree of tension. On the one hand, hating the evil in other people's lives, yet, in a sense, bearing with it, living with it, 
in a sense, almost tolerating it. Not in a sense of condoning it, but tolerating it and living with it. Um, and, and that's part of what makes love a bit uncomfortable and, and not so easy to do. Um, but that's a good test of love. Can you, at the same time, continually hate the evil in someone's life and yet bear with it? Um, love does the right thing for the right reasons. Um, I, I, I put Matthew 5 um, up there, but I'm, I'm going to read to you from, and you can just listen to this, from, from Luke um, 6, verse, from verse 27 to 31, because it says it even better. It's that portion where Jesus talks about loving your enemies. He says, But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone uh, slaps you on one cheek, turn the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, which is what enemies, you know, part of what enemies do, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. And that, that's heavy. But it, but it shows you just two things I want to highlight from this scripture. Firstly, it means the love, and we know the, the Greek word for love in the Bible um, or one of the Greek words, is agape. That's the God kind of love. It's not transactional. It's not commercial love. It's not, if you love me, then I'll love you in return. Because yet Jesus says, agape love that imitates God causes you to love even your enemies, even those who hate you. Because that's what an enemy is. It's someone who doesn't love you, who hates you. Okay? So firstly, it's not transactional. Okay? Secondly, it's not conditional, if I can put it that way. Secondly, it causes you to do the right things to the people that you love, even when they're not doing the right things to you. It says, do good to those who hate you. So love seeks to do good. Bless those who curse you. So love seeks to bless, to speak blessing over people. Pray for those who mistreat you. I think there are few better ways to show love than to pray for people. And that doesn't mean you, you pray just... That, that might mean you pray for repentance amongst others. You know, if, if an enemy is mistreating you, obviously it's not going to be well with them if they continue to mistreat you. I mean, you might not take vengeance on them, but if they don't stop mistreating you, then God will judge them. So pray for them that God will grant them repentance that they'll repent and turn away from mistreating you. Um, if someone slaps you on the cheek, turn the other cheek also. Um, if someone takes your coat, do not withhold. So, so it's part of doing good. How, how do you do good? You know, even when two people are doing, treating you badly, how do you do good to them? Ask to those, uh, give to those who ask you, etc. Do to others as you would have them do to you. So, so love motivates you and enables you to do the right things, but for the right reasons. Okay? Not just doing the right things, but for the right reasons. Love gives significance to our good works. Let me just read to you in 1 Corinthians 13. It says, If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. If, and if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so that I can remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And if I give all away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. 
In other words, you can do all the right things unless you're doing them for the right reason. It means nothing. In other words, love is what gives meaning and significance even to our good works. And then, love gives, especially itself. In uh, John 3 verse 16, it says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. There's an old saying, you can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. And the ultimate form of love is self-giving. And that's what this text is talking about. God not only giving to us, but giving His best by giving Himself to us. So if you love, you will, you will give to people. So love is the right response, but love also inspires the right response. And I'm going to try and be a bit quicker so I can finish on time. Um, love is the ultimate apologetic. In, in, in John 13, verse 35, 34 and 35, Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. You, love is what makes everything else that we do plausible. When people look at us and they see, they, they hear us speaking truth, they hear us witnessing about the cross and about Jesus, um, they see us doing good, they, they, they only, it only means and it only really finds entrance into people's hearts if they also see us loving them and one another. It, it's the ultimate apologetic. It, it's what, what makes... Um, it, it's what makes our witness credible, if I can put it that way. There's a, a well-known uh, apologist, uh, now his name escapes me, uh, <laughs> um, the, the guy who, who started the Labrie Center in Europe, Francis Schaeffer, there we go. Francis Schaeffer, they started Labrie in, 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 in Europe, and, and he was a brilliant apologist. And, and a lot of skeptical people, you know, it, uh, over many years came through there, lived there, and, and they, every day they'd reason from the scriptures and, and share the gospel and, and, and try and, through apologetics, convince people of the truth of the gospel. But the people who came out of there, and many people got saved, many people were skeptics and, and against Christianity and, and have rejected church completely, after spending some time there, some weeks or months there, actually got converted powerfully and became very committed Christians. And when they were asked afterwards what made the difference, you know, was it because Francis Schaeffer was such a great apologist? They said, yes, you know, the, the, the reasoning that he did with us helped. But the main thing was Francis Schaeffer's wife and the way that she practiced hospitality and just loved us and created a home for us. That was the main thing that changed our hearts. Love is the ultimate apologetic. And... The reality is the better we love people, the better they respond to the truth of the gospel. The more accessible it will be to them. The more, the, the more attractive it will be to them. Love encourages trust because it wants something for people and not from people. You know, people are not stupid. <laughs> we all know that unless someone loves me, I can't really trust them. Unless someone cares about me, I can't really trust them. And, and, and so, if we come across as though we want something from people rather than for people, 
They're not going to trust us. And love is a clear message. Or the essence of love. Remember that goodwill that I I was talking about? The essence of love that we convey. And and by the way, we, we convey this not explicitly by saying, I love you. But in the way that we say and do everything. By acting in the best interests of people. So it's, it's, it's almost a subtext, you know. While I'm talking, you can, you can pick up, to, to a very large extent, uh, whether I really love you. Whether I'm saying this because, you know, I want to whip you into line and I want you to act in a certain way. Or whether I really think that what I'm sharing is what's best for you. You can, you can pick it up just in the way that I'm talking, okay. And that'll cause you to either trust me or not trust me. And therefore, to either receive what I'm saying or not receive what I'm saying. So, to the extent that I am sharing with you out of a love, heart of love for you, I'm, I'm enabling you to receive more of what I'm sharing. Because you realize I want something for you and not something from you. And, and it's the same for all of us. In all of life. In all of our relationship. Whether it's at home, at work, amongst our friends, wherever. Um, there's this old saying, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And it's a bit of a cliche, but it is true. It is true. And, and, and as we love people well, we open up their hearts. It's, it's like our love is, is like the sun shining and, and their heart is like a sunflower. And it turns towards the warmth and the light of the love that we're shining on them. And our, their hearts are open to us. And then they can receive the truth that we want to share with them. Which is also, by the way, a form of love because... The, the, the truth of the gospel is what's best for people, ultimately. Love enables us to listen, and listening enables us to love. In James 1, I, I love these scriptures. You know, I think one of the most practical things that you can do if you want to love people is listen to them. Just, if you can get that one thing right, practically listen better to your children, to your friends, to your spouse, to your colleagues, to your neighbors, then you'll love them so much better. Um, James 1 verse, verse 19 and 20 says, Know this, my beloved brothers, every, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. You know the old saying that yeah, there's a reason why you have two ears and one mouth? <laughs> you should listen twice as much as you speak. The reality is love will cause you to listen well, to listen not only to what someone is saying, but what, to, to what they mean by what they're saying. And what they're saying reveals about what they need and what they want. To listen with empathy. Love will cause you to do that. And as you do that, because you get to know the person better, you love them better. Because you get to know their needs better, you can serve them in love better. You know, it's, it's very difficult to not love someone once you've really listened to them and once you've heard their story and where they come from. Isn't that so? Isn't that how, part of how we learn to love one another? By hearing one another's stories? And if I can give you one practical tip, if you can walk away from the sermon with one practical tip on how to love better. Listen, and that you will love, then you'll love people better. Listen well, and then you'll love people better. Um... David Augsburger says that being listened to is so close to being loved that most people cannot tell the difference. 
I'll read that again. Being listened to is so close to being loved that most people cannot tell the difference. Listening is one of the main ways we can love uh, people. Okay, and then in, finally, why, why should we love the people? Is Because God, love reflects God. Now, here you also might be asking, sure, Henny, the standard for loving is kind of high. I mean, we've read all of those scriptures. It's a bit intimidating, you know. It's, 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 it's quite challenging. I realize that I'm, 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 I'm falling far short of perfection, you know. And, and, I, and I, it's not for lack of trying, you know. How can I do better? You know, what can, what can you give me that can help me to love people better? You know, accept the advice to listen better, you know. Well, firstly, love is a family resemblance. The result of being born of God. In, in, in 1 John 4, verse 7 and 8, it says, Beloved, notice it starts by saying, it starts by speaking to those who are loved who are beloved. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. So, so what he's saying here, you know, don't miss what he's saying here. What John, what John is saying here is God's character, God's nature is that he's love. God is love. And when you're born of God, then you start to reflect that family resemblance. Just like my poor kids, to some extent, look like me. Fortunately, I have a, a pretty wife who, who, you know, uh, who could add some beauty to it. But, you know, my kids, to some extent, look like me. Because there's a family resemblance. Now, spiritually, in terms of our nature, we, when we're born of God, we start to look like God. We start to reflect His nature. So the first step to being able to love others is to be born of God. Unless you are born of God, the, the God, born of God who is love, you will not be able to consistently love. You see, when you're born of God, your nature changes. And you become like God so that loving becomes natural to you. It becomes part of your nature. So, I just want to encourage you, if, if you try, Christianity is not something that you try and do. Christianity is first and foremost something that is done to you. Just like birth is something that is done to a baby. Okay? The mother gives birth to the baby and, 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 and you must be born of God. There's a change of nature. It's not just trying to do better, pulling up your socks, spiritually speaking. It's, it's, it's allowing God to change of who you are on the inside. And unless you do that, unless you allow God to do that, you will try and love, but you'll do it out of a nature that has not been changed to be the nature of God who is love. And it will always be difficult. Love is the result of being loved by God. Um, in, in, in 1 John, John goes on and he says... In verse 9, in this the love of God has been made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation or the payment for our sins. Beloved, if 
God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So can, can you see how, how John is holding out God's love for us through the gospel, through what he did with, uh, in his son, how he's holding that out to us as the basis for our love for one another. What he's saying is, the more you receive God's love through the gospel, the more you'll be able to love one another. Because the reality is, as human beings, we're needy. We need to be loved. That's why we so often say to one another, hey, you love me. And once you've loved me, I'll love you in return. We do that. Why do we do that? Because we're needy. We need love. But what God says is not stop being needy. Just love, you know, at every cost. He says, I've got all the love you need. <laughs> Come and fill your tank with me. I'll fill your cup. Your cup, like Psalm 23 says, will overflow. When, when you come to me as your shepherd, as your father, I'll fill your cup to overflowing, your love cup. And, and the more you receive love from me, the more you'll be able to love the people around you. So, um, we love, our love is a result of God, God's love for us. So, so just practically, if I can put it, put it this way. Do you realize how much God loves you? And do you, do you constantly open yourself up to receive God's love for you? You see, all of those difficult commands that talk about sacrificing in order to love and that we must do what's best for others and that we must have goodwill towards others and that we must uh, you know, look out for the interests of others and, and, and take care of others even when it costs us a lot. Do you realize that God will not require that of us unless He's willing to do it for us? God is not a hypocrite. Do you realize that all of those things that God does for you, He has goodwill towards you. He wants what's best for you. He's willing to sacrifice. And I mean, He proved it on the cross. The, the problem is we forget that. Or we know it intellectually, but we don't meditate on it until it drops down from our head into our heart. And we start experiencing it, tasting and seeing how much God loves you. There's a difference, like Jonathan Edwards says, between being told that honey is sweet and tasting that honey is sweet. There's a difference between being told that God loves you and experiencing that God loves you, tasting it. How often do you go and taste God's amazing love for you? Drink it in. When you read the word, drink in God's love for you. When you pray, drink in God's love for you. When you spend time around people, drink in God's love for you, reminding yourself that the love that hey, they have for you is just a pale reflection of the love that God has for you. Drink it in. Remind yourself that Jesus loved you so much that He was willing to suffer and die for you until your heart experiences it. And that will enable you to love others better because when you've been loved that much and when you've received that much love, becomes easier to give that love and then finally love is the first fruit of the spirit according to galatians 5 so you must not only be born of the spirit but you must experience the fruit of the spirit no fruit is something that grows fruit doesn't just appear instantaneously it grows gradually so as you walk in the Spirit, as you keep in step with the Spirit, as you continually sow to the Spirit, so the Spirit will bear fruit in your life. 
and chief am among the fruit of the Spirit is love. Because the, the Holy Spirit is God, and God is love. And as you sow to the Spirit, that love of the Spirit will keep growing in your heart and in your life. Now, fruit grows in our lives. So, so that's what it does in our lives. It grows. What do other people do with the fruit in our lives? What do you do with fruit? You eat it, right? <laughs> Why does the Lord want to grow the fruit of the Spirit in your life? So that others can eat from it. And taste and see that the Lord is good. Okay. I think that's enough. I want to I encourage you. You know, just imagine if, if we were a community that was constantly receiving God's amazing love for us. And, and God's love is always more than we can receive. It, it's, it's always so much that it will overflow. <laughs> okay? If, just imagine if we are a community that's constantly receiving God's amazing love for us, and then out of that overflow, constantly loving one another, listening to one another, really listening to one another, listening to those out there in the world, really hearing them, knowing that for most people, being listened to and being loved is so close together that they can't really tell the difference. And learning to love one another better and better as we experience more and more. I mean, just think what kind of a community we'd be. Just think what a, what a joy it would be. I mean, it's already a joy because we're already doing this. But just imagine if we continue to grow in it. What kind of family lives we'd have. What kind of colleagues we'd be to work with. How people, even those who initially hate us would be would have to say wow you know that I, I might not like them but there's something about them that I find really attractive let's stand as a, as a practical homework for this week, I want, to, I want to ask you to just do two things. I just want to ask you to do two things. Okay? Number one, I want you to, every day, every day, I want you to try and receive more of God's love for you. And maybe for you that means meditating on a certain scripture that reminds you of God's love for you. Or maybe it just means saying, God, show me and help me to realize and experience how much you love me. And the second thing I want you to do is I want you to try and listen to people. And I dare you to not love people better once you've listened to them. <laughs> you can try. <laughs> you, we, when, once you've listened to them, you will love them better. So just every day, try and receive more of God's love for you. And every day, try and listen better to people. So I just want you to close your eyes right there where you are and just say, God, help me to do those two things this week. Help me to do it every day. And ask God, Lord, what do I need to do to remember to do this every day? How can I remind myself to do this every day? And maybe it's as simple as just writing. Just writing down on a piece of paper and sticking it to your mirror or your fridge. Learn and love the gospel. Learn and live the gospel. Listen 
and love the people, pray and obey the Spirit everywhere. And maybe you can just write that down in a place where you can see it every day and just every day remind yourself and say, God, help me to do this. Lord, I just pray your blessing over your people. I thank you, Lord, that you have loved us so well and that you call us to reflect you by loving one another and by loving this world. Thank you that you've placed us in this city of Johannesburg, Lord. And when we look around us in Johannesburg, we see such a great, desperate need for love. And we want to learn to love as you have loved us. Thank you, Jesus, for your, how you've loved us. Lord, we're sorry that we so often receive so little of the amazing love that you have for us. Help us to receive more of it, more regularly. Lord, and I just bless your saints, Lord, with hearts that are vulnerable and soft and open to you to receive your love, more of your love, every day. And to enjoy it in Jesus' name. And I pray, Lord, that as you bless us with your love, that we'll be able to go out there and be a blessing by giving that love to the people around us. I pray, Lord, that we will truly be known by our love in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Joburg. May the grace you receive produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good. For more information and sermons, please visit our website at www.shofar.joburg.com.